This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are the anchor that, that holds. And Father, for, for those who came this morning just dealing with, with pain, with difficulty, Father, I pray that, that you would show yourself faithful, that you would use your word today to encourage, to speak words of comfort, to speak words of blessing. Father, for those of us who need to be challenged or convicted, Lord, we, we know that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to go forth and to do its work and that it will not return void. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in, at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas today as they gather. Lord, in the midst of incredible pain, incredible tragedy, Lord, would they experience your faithfulness and show us through your word how your glory, the glory of the triune God can be displayed through the church. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've ever seen a NASCAR race, um, you know that kind of one of the saddest sort of one of the most pathetic things that you can see in sports is when a driver runs out of gas on the last lap. And the way this works is that that driver has sort of gambled that he's going to have just enough fuel to make it through the end of the race. And so he makes the choice not to pit, thinking that I can just have just enough drops of gas to finish the, the race. It's, it's a gamble. And a couple of times I've been watching races and, and, and it's just this pathetic thing as a driver who's been leading the race, whose car has just been humming along like a finely tuned machine for hundreds of laps, just runs out of gas at the end of a race. And he goes from leading the race to dropping back, the other cars pass by, the whole field passes by like he's standing still. And he goes from first to worst, all in a single lap. You don't want to run out of gas in a race, and you don't want to run out of gas. You don't want to run out of fuel in the Christian life. And and one of the things that can happen is after we experience something like the Thirst Conference, is that if we're trying to follow through on the commitments that we made in our own strength, then we will, we will quickly grow depleted. But what we talked about on, on Wednesday night is that God has provided a reservoir of grace to draw from. And one of the ways that we draw from that reservoir is through prayer. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of the great prayers in the New Testament. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at one of the great prayers this morning of the Apostle Paul as he prays for the church 
to display God's glory. Ephesians 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. As many of Paul's prayers are, this prayer just beautifully shows forth all three persons of the Trinity. It's very Trinitarian in character, as we will we'll see. Ephesians 3 and verses 14 through 21. And if you'll follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Ephesians 3, and let's begin reading at verse 14. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what do we see here in this incredible prayer of Paul for, for God's glory to be displayed in the church? We, we see here in, in verse 14 the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. Look at verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So because of Jesus, those of us who are in Christ has, have been, have been adopted as children of the Father. Jesus says in John 1.12, As many as re received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, when we believe on him, when we trust in his saving work, we become children of God. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the Father. And what that means is that we have lots and lots of brothers and sisters in Christ so look at verses 14 and 15 together. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, when Paul talks about every family here, he's not talking about every sort of little nuclear family like, you know, the Hayes family. He's talking here, when he talks about every family, he's talking about every people group, every tribe and tongue of, of, of the peoples throughout the world um, that flows from the context of what he's been saying here. Um, in verses 8 and 9, Paul has been uh, talking about his ministry, and he, and he says in verses 8 and 9, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul here has just been talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles and God's saving 
plan. And so among the Gentiles, of course, there are thousands of people groups, tribes, tongues, different ethnicities, people with with distinct uh, cultures, okay? And so he is saying here that, that God's plan has always been to bring people to himself from all the families of the earth, all the people groups of the earth. Now that goes all the way back to, to the, the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. He says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, God is promising here that through the seed of Abraham, ultimately Jesus, that all the people groups, all the families of the earth, every tribe and tongue is going to be blessed. That is the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says to the church, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In Greek, the term there of all nations is pantata ethne. Ethne is where we get the word ethnic, okay? And so the, the command is to go and make disciples of every ethnic grouping of people, every family group of people on earth. That is our assignment, and that is God's promise. So this has huge implications, okay? Implications, first of all, for how we think about missions. It means that when we do missions, we don't just sort of try to win people to Christ from every nation state on earth. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he's not saying there every sort of political nation, every nation state, that's not enough. That doesn't get the job done because within every nation state, there are hundreds and even thousands of, of, of groupings of people. Okay, so, and when we think about some of the missionaries that we have personal relationships with in our church, think about Danny Bird. Okay, he's, he, he, his ministry mainly takes place in Romania, but it's to a very specific people group within the borders of, of that country, the, the, the Roma people, gypsy people. They are a very distinct cultural ethnic grouping within the borders of that country. And actually they transcend, they're in many countries, the Roma people. When we think about Lori, okay, Lori is in a nation in Southeast Asia. She's ministering to a Vietnamese people group, but this Vietnamese people group doesn't even live in Vietnam. <laughs> they live in another country, but they are a very, very distinct cultural ethnic family of people. And so that's the assignment. It's, it's every, every people group, every tribe and tongue on earth. That's our assignment. Now, our church through our partnership, not only with missionaries that we know personally, but through the International Mission Board, the whole strategy of the IMB is to to send and sustain missionaries that are seeking to reach every people group on earth. So as you give week by week, uh, 
as you give to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you are personally involved in getting the gospel to every tribe and tongue, every, every family grouping of people on earth. Our church is personally involved. You are personally involved as you give. So it has implications for how we think about missions. It also has implications for how we think about race and ethnicity. Let's look at, at, at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. We see this incredible picture of what's going to take place one day in the new heaven and earth when Jesus returns. It says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So in the new heaven and earth, we are gonna be gathered there with glorified, resurrected bodies with people from every tribe and tongue. Okay, they're gonna people, be, be people there with glorified Asian bodies and glorified uh, African bodies and glorified Hispanic bodies and glorified bodies of people of European ancestry. Um, listen, it is going to be this beautiful uh, mosaic of color and the new heaven and earth and we are going to be there forever with our brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue loving Jesus and loving one another and what is going to be reality for us in the future needs to be mirrored now now in the church Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The glory of the Father, we're all children of the Father, and we've got this family of brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue. The glory of the Father. Uh, second, the glory of the Spirit. The glory of the Spirit Look at verse 16. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Francis Chan has written a book called Forgotten God, Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes you know, we, we, we think about the Father, we think about the Son. Sometimes we don't, we don't think or talk a lot or teach a lot about the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, we are powerless. My biggest takeaway from this past week from the Thirst Conference is the need to depend more upon the power of the Spirit of God. I wanna, I wanna read to you a testimony that someone wrote about how God impacted their life this past week and they said this, God used the Thirst Conference to help me discern and identify the idols in my heart. It is incredibly freeing. He also used the conference to reveal my pride and self-reliance and to direct me to lean more on and live by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. So Paul prays here for more of the Spirit 
that, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit. Now, as we pray for our church, we should pray for our church, for the people in our church to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And to do that indicates a posture of humble dependence upon God. 1 Peter 5.5 5 and James 4.6 say that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so to recognize our, our desperate need for the Spirit is to take a posture of humble dependence and God promises to give grace, to give grace to the humble, to those who humbly lean upon him. And also we should understand that God delights in giving more of his Holy Spirit to those who pray this way. Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you ask for more of the Holy Spirit in your own life? Do you pray for more of the Holy Spirit to be poured out in the corporate life of our church? Uh, Shane, last Sunday um, during the Sunday school hour uh, was sharing a remark that he had heard a Chinese believer make after visiting America and kind of seeing what a lot of churches are, are doing in America. And this Chinese believer uh, said, you know, it's amazing what these churches in America do with all of their snazzy programming without the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what an indictment. May God get us off of our own program and onto his program, which is the power of, of the Spirit. And so listen, what that, what that means is that in all that we do, you know, in all, whether it's a program or whether it's a, it's a, it's a meeting, a, a committee meeting, a ministry team, I mean, whatever we do in the life of our church, brothers and sisters, let's, let's do it leaning upon God. Let's do it prayerfully. Let's bathe what we do. Let's bathe every gathering, every meeting, everything that we do, bathe it in prayer and humble dependence upon God for the power of his spirit. The glory of the spirit. Third, the glory of the son. Look at verse 17. Paul, Paul prays so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now at first, that seems like a strange request because he's praying here for a church. Didn't Christ already dwell in their hearts through faith? Well, yes, but... In Greek, there are two verbs for to dwell. One means like a temporary place of lodging, kind of like a hotel. You know, you're checking in and you're going to be there temporarily, but you're going to be gone. And the other is it means to stay. It means that you, you feel this dwelling becomes like home for you. That's the word that's used here. And so what it's saying is that we want our hearts 
to be a place that it, places that are hospitable for Christ to dwell. More and more hospitable, hospitable for him to dwell as we, as we smash the idols of our hearts. And, and our hearts become just more and more a place where, you know, Jesus feels welcomed and at home. And then he continues to pray here in, in, in verse 17 that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Now this, this mark of, of the church, the mark of genuine believers is something that, that Paul emphasizes. He comes back to it again and again and again in all of his letters and all of his prayers. And of course, Jesus says in John 13, by this will people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so he prays here that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And our ability to love one another flows from our increasing knowledge of the love of Christ. Look at verses 18 and 19. He prays that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's an old hymn called More About Jesus, more about Jesus I would know, more of his grace to others show. And so the more that we know of Jesus and his love, the more of, of a reservoir of love that we have to, to share with others. The, the, the more, the deeper that we get into the gospel, into the work of Christ, the more that we understand what he has done for us, Listen, the more that loving other people is a natural outflow of that, the more that we understand his grace toward us, the more it becomes natural to treat other people with grace and mercy. And then in verses 20 and 21, we see this incredible benediction. We, we see that everything we've been talking about, that all of it is for the glory of the triune God. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> you know, Paul, when he, he wrote his letters, <clears throat> he would use an amanuensis, It's like a secretary that he would, would dictate the letter to and, and the amanuensis would, would be writing this down as Paul would, would, would dictate it out loud. You get the feeling in verses 20 and 21 that as Paul, as Paul is dictating that he almost has his hands just raised, just raised in praise to God. I mean, he, it's like he can't, he can't contain himself here. He's just exploding, you know, with praise to, to God. Let's, let's, let's dig into verse 20 a little bit more. So encouraging. It's one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this about verse 20. 
It says, read verse 20 carefully. Then think of what God might do in you and through you, you as a community, you as an individual. Now reflect on the fact that God is perfectly capable of doubling that, tripling that, going so far beyond it that you would look back at the present moment and wonder how you could be so short-sighted. Let's look at, um, look at verse 20 again in the NIV. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Speaking of that, that term that the NIV translates as immeasurably, Australian New Testament scholar Peter T. O'Brien says this, the apostle's language is stretched to its limits. He uses a rare compound adverb which is best rendered by infinitely more than. There is no limit to what God can do. Whatever situation you are in this morning, remember that. Verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, everything, everything that he's been praying is, is so, is that the church would be a display of the glory of the triune God. It's all for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this incredible prayer of Paul. Lord, help us to use it in our own lives as we pray for our church. Lord, we, we wanna pray for people in our church, people who are sick and people who are going through things in our, in our church. We, we know that's part of what we should pray for is the, the physical health of people. But Lord, help us to pray faithfully for the spiritual health of our church as Paul does here. And so Lord, may our lives and may our life together as a congregation display the glory of the triune God. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and and there's a need in your life, God's speaking to you about what a relationship with him is all about. We would love to talk with you about that. Um, we have baptism coming up next Sunday. If you need to be baptized as a believer, um, one of our pastors, we would love to come alongside you and talk with you about that. If God's just doing something in your life that you need prayer for, we'd love to pray with you now or, or after our, our service. Uh, if you just need to come and pray at the altar, it's always open for you to do that. If God's working in your life, say, I wanna be a, I wanna be a part of this church family and what God is doing here, we wanna welcome you. Just come forward and just let us know. Uh, what God is doing in your life now in this time of invitation or right after our service today. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. 
Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.